0: Well we should redo both of that. Yeah. We should redo the whole thing. Do the
1: whole whole podcast over. Start from zero. go back to the first episode.
0: Frankly, I did think about that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and welcome to Who is My Doctor? Who
0: is my doctor?
1: Another episode of Who is My Doctor, a Doctor Who podcast. Uh, I am your host, Zach, and I know a lot about Doctor Who.
0: And I'm your co-host, Cassie, and I know nothing.
1: And together we're going through uh, now the third episode of Series 1 of Doctor Who, an episode called The Unquiet Dead. Ooh. is <laughs> a spooky name. Oogie Spooky. yeah. <laughs> So, um, just to give Cassie a little bit more than just a name, uh, I like what we did last episode where you got uh, just a little just a little frame they have up here on the streaming service that we're using. Um,
0: Which does put Rose in a very, like, vampy sort of gothic look from what it looks like, an off-the-shoulder sort of number with her hair tied back.
1: So, between that and the name, Cassie, why don't you tell us what you think The Unquiet Dead might be about?
0: Oh, Okay. I can imagine, based off of that, and because she... Ha- Rose seems to be looking down at what I can only assume is a dying Victorian child. <laughs> therefore, <laughs> therefore...
2: Rose Tyler, you could save me if you buy one of my newspapers. Please push me outside so I can get some fresh air for the last time. <laughs> um, The consumption hasn't taken me quite yet. <laughs> If only I could see me mum and me pop one more time. If only I could perchance go to the year 5000.
1: Billy, what's wrong? What, what would you have in the year 5000? Nothing! Just thought maybe someone here could help me.
2: I just thought it'd be fun. There has to be a cure for my <coughs> the disease in the year 5000. <laughs>
1: so uh (laughs) so
2: yeah that's my uh, that actually
0: does filter into exactly what this uh this cast prophecy is right now the running total is i've gotten two out of four guesses correct
1: yeah like you're two, big or you could say you've got one episode right and one episode wrong but each time you broke them down into like (laughs) two main bullet points yes
0: so um uh so definitely this is a time travel episode
1: okay uh That would make sense. They did just travel into the year five billion. Yeah.
0: Well, okay. So this is a time travel back in time episode. Yeah. This is a we are going backwards in the old uh, wibbly wobbly timey wimey.
1: Oh, you know another Dr. Who thing? I know that
0: one (laughs) because I remembered somebody saying it a lot in my college, and I thought it was just a silly thing she was saying. Turns out.
1: You're going to feel so good when we get to that episode. Ooh. Yes, I know. <laughs> I don't know
0: which doctor pull it, says. Pull
1: it. out a Captain America. I understood that reference <laughs>
0: exactly. Uh, backwards in time, Victorian era. I, I'll I'll put that down as one as one like cast prophecy. Uh, we're going backwards to the Victorian era because we are trying to save somebody. Or we are trying to speak with somebody who is so you think so you dead. think they
1: intentionally dropped off it in the nineteen in in nineteen sixties in the Victorian sure in
0: nineteen sixties <laughs> people are still dying of consumption then
1: <laughs> uh, that you think they intentionally drop in the Victorian area because they're specifically they're like going there with with purpose it's not just let's take a look around the eighteen sixties and see what happens.
2: Yeah,
0: I I think that this one is is intentional. I, okay. I don't. Th- I think based off of the previous episode, Rose is done with the future. She wants to keep it a little bit more grounded, and I'm sure that the Doctor is also like, you know what, this poor girl is is in a whirlwind of stuff, and it, we're in too deep. <laughs> this is. We still have so many episodes ahead of us. We do. We indeed. gotta keep gotta keep her happy. <laughs>
1: All right, so uh, those so your main predictions are
0: purposeful travel back in time to Victorian era.
1: Okay, would you like me to f- give you something that could be your second idea?
0: Uh, sure.
1: Uh, so in this time period, they meet a famous historical figure. Um, Charles Dickens. Okay, so your guesses are.
0: Wait, no! I thought you were gonna tell me the historical figure. I no, didn't I thought know that was, that that your was guess. my guess. No.
1: Do you, I'm gonna let I' let you decide now. Oh, Do you wait. want that to be your guess?
0: No I don't. I okay. resign that. You I resign take that? It, I take it back I pull I put my ballot in, but before okay. I dropped it, I took it right back out.
1: <laughs> oh no, there's ballots everywhere
0: <laughs> They're really mad at me at the Burbank Library because I just can't drop my ballot into <laughs> the thing. So I've started mailing it in so that way I don't have to deal with the ballot collectors anymore. They'll get you.
1: All right, so, so are you just going to stick with the one guest oh, for this no. episode then?
0: No, I would like to do two. This okay. is this is the thing. Who is the historical fit? Can you give me a hint about the, who okay, is the historical? Okay, if you want me to figure? tell you, I will
1: tell you. No. you are absolutely right. It is Charles Dickens. Oh my!
0: Fine, <laughs> win
1: immediate win. No, you said it didn't count. No, I gave wait. you so many opportunities no, to keep that going. No,
2: please let me have this one. <laughs> please, Zach, Sag, sag. Zach, please. I'm dying of, of being wrong. I don't. I, don't,
1: I feel like I I'm, gave you.
2: No, please, Zachary. Tell
1: you what. As we my dying will... wish. Tell you what, we'll call it a half point. <laughs> you got two and a half now.
2: Thank you.
1: <laughs> Here, take your shilling and fuzz off. <laughs>
2: I can I can buy myself a, a bag of bread. Okay, and I've
1: got, an, I've got an, a Feed
2: thing. for myself and my birds. I've got a
1: thing we could uh, go for. What do you what? think the Unquiet Dead specifically is in reference okay,
2: to? Okay, so if I'm. <laughs> if we're doing Dickens.
0: Hmm. Dickens didn't have anything to do with zombies.
1: So we could assume, just from the way it's described, that they are. that it has something to do with dead people. So you can just tell me what you think is happening to the dead people to make them quote unquote unquiet
0: something okay okay, here's my guess for the unquiet dead. People aren't dying
1: Okay, so you think that they're like they're like, like things things kill them but they don't die. like something that should have killed them doesn't is what you're saying? Yes,
0: there are simply too many people <laughs>
1: Famous Victorian era problem: there are too many people.
0: Like that. That's the only thing that I can muster up.
2: There are Too many of us. Some of us have to die of consumption, or we can't sell enough papers. There's only one blanket, and six of us trying to share it. It's <laughs> my turn with the blanket. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I. I. I'm gonna. I'm gonna cash
0: in. I'm dropping my ballot in. There are too many people. People aren't dying fast enough.
1: Okay, so why don't we... Why don't you just very emphatically state so everyone's there clear. There is
0: sickness that is... There, there is a sickness that is not good. No, I don't know. The, mm. Okay, so my my prophecy... I might just have to nail it in with there is a sickness, period, the end. Like a virus. Maybe it's like a super bad virus that is, you know, killing thousands and thousands of people. And they need to go and stop it before it kills too many people. Okay. Charles Dickens is sick.
1: <laughs> Charles Sickens. Cool
0: skateboard trick, Charles Sickens. <laughs> Thanks. I really liked when you wrote that half pipe on two books. <laughs>
1: Everyone look I call this my Oliver Twist.
0: There you go. Good job. Good job. You <laughs> did it. Victorian era zombie
1: virus. Okay, so there's a so there's a virus yes. that is raising the dead like zombies. Yes. Okay.
0: That is what I'm I'm yes. You did it. Okay. I so, did it all by myself. Okay, so, only me. All right,
1: so we've got your two answers locked in here. Uh, I will tell you, this is the first episode that you've seen that has a new writer. The first two episodes are both written by the new showrunner, Russell T. Davies. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is written by a man named Mark Gaddis. And this is an interesting thing, I think, that you'll you'll enjoy. Um, Both Russell T. Davies and Mark Gaddis are both openly gay men. And so, as such, this is... As far as I'm aware... Is it
0: openly gay back in 2005, yes, even? Yes, even in
1: 2005. Well, like Russell T. Davies has, has has been out, as far as I'm aware, his entire life.
0: It, if nothing else, it does open the doorway of acceptance.
1: Yeah, it's... And that is
0: an overarching theme, perhaps, is just...
1: And, you know, maybe... It,
0: not it, understanding somebody, not knowing exactly where they come from, who they were, who they are, but accepting them because, you know...
1: Yeah, and, there's a, and I think there's a, a very... As a queer
0: person, being accepted is like a big thing for me, <laughs> so...
1: It's also kind of funny because they had... Uh, Russell T. Davies grew up where this episode was filmed, mm-hmm. and so he had always pictured Doctor Who coming to that area to, you know... To, and he would picture the Doctor having an adventure there. So, of course, the episode where they finally get the film there, Russell T. Davies did not write it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, we have Cassie's, uh, what was it? You called it the cast prophecy? This is the
0: cast prophecy. I have my cast prophecy locked and loaded. The ballot is in and nobody is chasing me out of the library. We have
1: the prophecy of Cassandra uh, handed to us. And it is time to find out if this prophecy is right or wrong with episode three of Doctor Who, The Unquiet Dead.
0: Woo. Oh, wait. If they're zombies, then it should be. Ugh. <sighs> Blah. <laughs> That's the sound that brains make when you're slooping them out of a straw.
1: Who is My Doctor is brought to you by Two Kids Trench Coats. Hey kids, do you have a really old face and a friend with really strong legs? Well, do I have just the thing for you? With a two-kids trench coat, you can do all the fun things adults like us get to do every day, like seeing an R-rated movie, paying taxes, crying about the housing market as you realize that at this point in your parents' lives, they had an eight-year-old and a six-year-old while you struggle to take care of a couple of cats. And you can't help but feel like that's somehow your fault, when you know in your heart it's society that's let down your entire generation, but knowing that and feeling that aren't the same thing, so the guilt and despair build up until you're crying in the bathtub with the shower off and obsessing over houseplants. Yes, you two can join us in the existential despair that is adulthood while sitting on the shoulders of your strong friend, you old faced freak. For a limited time, each two kids trench coat comes with a free fake glasses mustache combo. (laughs) Hilarious and deceptive. Two kids trench coats, because two kids are better in a coat. And we are back from the unquiet dead.
0: Ooh, we, ooh, we sci-fi ghost story. Sci-fi
1: ghost story, and so I think we need to first talk about your couple of predictions here. Um. So the first so one. I was don't the, feel
0: like I, I'm I'm wrong in the purposeful going back in
1: time. They purposefully went back in time because but they, had they already
0: gone in forward in time, but they didn't mean to go. Back to 1869 They thought they were going to 1860 They also thought
1: they were going to Naples So not only did they not go purposefully To this place, they didn't even go here On purpose
0: I still get the half point for Charles Dickens You do get the half
1: point for Charles Dickens I'll also say that I'll give you the half point For the other one because you had described A disease that was bringing back the dead It wasn't a disease It was aliens And I'll let you know now just to help you with future guesses much like the show Ancient Aliens. And the answer to most riddles in this show is aliens. I'm
0: picking up on that. Yeah.
1: Um, it is... I kind of... There's a part of me that kind of wishes they would do more, like, true historicals, because it gets a l- I, I understand why in the sci-fi show you want to lean on the sci-fi angles, but, you know, there are times where sometimes it would be fun to just see the, the, the doctor deal with a, t- a Charles Dickens kind of problem. But instead, we got we have this: the Unquiet Dead, uh, the story of uh, the doctor discovering the Gelf, uh, a, a group of gas aliens that occupied dead bodies.
0: I uh, I'm still at my running total of a three out of six guesses correct.
1: Yeah, because so, I think we'll give you another half point for uh, for the for the disease thing. Plus, yeah. you're half point for Charles Dickens. So we're at three out of six.
0: <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, I was impressed that you just pulled Charles Dickens out of thin air.
0: I mean, there is a specific thing with, like, if you are looking at what is, who is important in history in Britain in that time, the pool becomes increasingly small. Fair. And gets smaller and smaller. So if you're not talking about Queen Victoria, you are usually talking about any other, like a trendsetter. In this case it is an author. It, it and it's a very easy point because if you do that for like American Victorian times it's you look at people like Edgar Allan Poe or like Mark Twain, I think as well you can also I mean both men, both authors. I was also a literary student. So
1: <laughs> forgive me. Alrighty, so when we open on this episode, we get with... uh, We first meet uh, the funeral director dealing with... Mr.
0: Sneed. Yeah,
1: Mr. Sneed. Sounds
0: Uh, like a villain.
1: He does sound like a villain's name.
0: Mr. Sneed. And I I know...
1: I mean, from what I know, this particular episode did go through a lot of drafts, so I'm sure that there's a possibility that at some point he was a bad guy and he just... I mean,
0: it wasn't even that he was bad. He just... Uh, didn't fully understand and was yeah. not super duper great.
1: He, he's a man that has grown up he's around dead bodies and he has there he, <laughs> He's he's a man.
0: He's a man in Victorian times. But
1: I think more specifically A man in
0: 1869.
1: <laughs> I think more specifically like his job has him around corpses so often that he's grown kind of glib to a lot of things in general.
2: I mean,
0: that kind of seems to be the trend for most funeral directors.
1: He he refers to them one point as the stiffs. Uh, He seems really, he seems just kind of chill with like chloroforming Rose at one point.
0: There is an air of disattachment that I know a lot, just based off of my own, my own studies. Lots of funeral directors do have to distance themselves from their subjects because you are surrounded by death. Any other like people like you and me, folks that don't have to deal in death. That is like the big ooky spooky scary like that that's it. Like when you're gone, you we will not see what happens after we die, but funeral directors
1: do. Yeah, it 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 does lead to one of my favorite little moments, just the very beginning when the grandma first revives and he comes in like, "Ah, oh, not again."
0: Yeah, it 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 was in that moment I went, "What?" <laughs> it
1: was like you're you seem awfully uh you seem weirdly just kind of annoyed by the dead rising as opposed to any other reaction that I might have thought you would have.
0: I do like though that they're during this time period too. Um, there was a lot of times where you could be deathly ill, very sick, very slow heart rate, very light breathing to the point where people would assume you died and then bury you in the ground. But because lots of people are getting buried alive, technically, there was a trend then of having, um, burying people, but with easy access to a bell so that way then if you woke up in a coffin you could ring the little bell and alert the um the graveyard attendant that you were alive hence the term graveyard shift a <laughs> uh, little fun fact but i i did kind of like the the play on the victorian relationship with living and the dead where it's it's very possible and plausible that you could have somebody just pop right back up off of the funeral ta- or off of the embalming table in the morgue and just be like hey I've been alive this whole time
1: <laughs> hey granny you're looking aliver than I thought you were
0: <laughs> but yeah and I, I also felt like there was a little bit of existentialism which seems to kind of be an ongoing thread and, I, and I'm trying to
1: yeah existentialism in what way
0: Oh, well, just like Rose is getting existential when they're in the TARDIS and she's talking about how they're going back to Christmas of 1860 and that this is the only Christmas of 1860 that there ever was and ever will be because once it's gone, it's gone. It'll never happen again. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, her realizing the like fragility of time. time, but then also having the actual time lord go, yeah, I guess, because that... That fragility and that, like, that thing does not happen to him. Nor do I really think it super occurs to him that that is something that humans think about and consider.
1: And it's also just, you know, what is he going to do about it? Like, he can't take all of humanity with him. He can only take the one or two at a time that he normally gets.
0: Because there's also the part of, like it that's how things are that's how things are supposed to be yeah and he's not cheating necessarily because he's not human but like you could look at it definitely as rose is kind of cheating the time system by having this like get out of jail free card basically
1: yeah
0: it's like free pass to go wherever and whenever she pleases and they uh a Well we say wherever
1: to... and whenever, but they can't do it at the same time. The TARDIS did land in the entirely wrong date and space. I mean that's
0: also because they were fucking around too. <laughs> <laughs> after you after uh you see what's been going on in this uh funeral parlor, they go back into the TARDIS or the, the scene cuts to them and the TARDIS, just kind of rolling around on the ground laughing. <laughs> just oh ha <laughs> Couldn't press two buttons at once. <laughs> I mean, we did We
1: did learn that there's a wardrobe in the TARDIS.
0: Yeah, with the most impossible directions to get down to.
1: <laughs> it's like second on the left, third on the right, fourth door on the left from there, past the bends, fifth on the right. It was something silly like that. It was
0: insanity. Which, you know, is implemented in the show just to expand on the sheer... <laughs> size of the interior of the TARDIS despite the fact that I don't think we will ever see anything outside of this one room <laughs> which I think is I'm I'm making an unofficial prediction I mean I will that tell you don't see any other part and that's so fucking funny
1: I mean I will say uh in at least in the classic show, you did in okay. fact in fact in the classic show, we've even seen the wardrobe Oh, cool. Um, now, granted, the TARDIS then looked a lot different. It was a lot whiter. Um, white,
2: yeah, white, or
1: white like the color. Gotcha. Now, the TARDIS right now is much whiter than it is uh, in in the, in the in the classic series. But yeah, in the original show, uh, there there are several points where you see more of the TARDIS. Now, okay. One thing that's interesting about this TARDIS set is that it, it it's a very like classic TV set, which is to say that. There's only so many... There's only so much wall to the TARDIS. There
0: are three walls in the TARDIS. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's round, so it's hard to hard to enumerate them, but...
0: There are three angles in the TARDIS. Yeah,
1: but... Yeah, so there's conveniently a whole chunk of the TARDIS that you just can't see because that's where the camera has to go. And the crew. Yeah. Uh, after we leave the TARDIS, we do meet uh, your guess, uh, your correct guess that Charles Dickens is in this.
0: <laughs> Okay, so fun fact. So the actor that's playing uh, Charles Dickens dickens uh simon callow who also in 2004 portrayed andre in the phantom of the opera oh, so fun. there's just something about this particular actor having to deal with ghosts
1: <laughs> or phantasmagoria as yeah, you said. or
0: phantasmagoria fuck phantasmagoria is such a good Word.
1: For those of you who do not know, uh, Phantasmagoria is the thing that Charles Dickens yells when he sees the ghost in the audience for the first time.
2: What Phantasmagoria
1: is this? Basically, it means like I'm seeing the stuff of dreams. Uh, or in this case, I suppose, nightmares.
0: Can you use it in a sentence?
1: This Phantasmagoria has got me feeling like I'm high. Excellent.
0: P H A. N. T. A. S. M. A. G. O. R. I. A. That is
1: correct. A uh, golf club for everybody. But I will say the guy playing Charles Dickens is supposed to is supposedly like a Charles Dickens expert, and he is not. This is not his first time playing Dickens. He's really good at it.
0: After, cause uh, I did the ADHD thing where I was watching him going, I know him from something something. (laughs) and as soon as the gears started turning and as soon as I realized that as soon as I remembered what year we were in I went there is a good chance that all of these things are overlapping and aligning and so I know exactly what he's from so I grabbed my phone very quick (laughs) (laughs) wrote wrote it it down. down. Doctor Who, Who, The Unquiet Unquiet Dead, Dead. Dickens Dickens Actor, and then his face popped up, up. and then I took took that name, and then I typed it next to the words Phantom of the Opera, and sure enough he popped up, up, and I've never never felt more vindicated.
1: (laughs) 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 But he's he's really good. Like, Charles Dickens, I mean, I will say, the character is arguably the protagonist in the sense that they are the one really going through the emotional journey of...
0: Well, because even when uh when he is doing his own show his own he's not even reading the book he has his own book memorized at this point
1: yeah he's been doing it probably i think i think if it's 1869 he's probably been doing it for a decade
0: but when he first sees the gas ghost start flying around he's accusing the doctor of it being an illusion
1: a projection on glass is what he accuses the doctor of doing.
0: Peppers ghost.
1: <laughs> but I, I just really want to commend the actor for bringing a lot to that character. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of fun watching Charles Dickens deal with a lot of the Scroogism's, like denying that ghosts exist on Christmas. Like he even gets called like the doctor even calls him a humbug at one point. I can't take about Humbug. Come on, open mind. I think a, a, kind of an obvious thing to do, but it doesn't make it less fun to have him go oh, through. Absolutely, yeah, his most famous. Oh, because also
0: he's as the doctor is rattling off some of his favorite books, which that's such an autistic thing to do. <laughs> 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 but he he recounts some of his like favorites, and Christmas Carol is not one of them, which is so nice because Charles Dickens is so flattered that he is naming. Every other book, yeah, that he's known for. He even names
1: a short story, not just a book.
0: No, that's what he, because when he's talking about ghosts, yeah, he assumes he's talking about Christmas Carol, and he goes, "No, short
1: story." Yeah, the. Uh, oh, I'm blanking on what he said. It was. Uh that's a shame. Okay. The nobleman.
2: No, but, uh, the note. The
1: notebook boy. The notebook boy.
2: It's something with. Hello, <laughs> no- I'm the notebook boy. I'm here to help you study for your math exam.
0: Do you want lined paper, dotted paper, plain paper? I've got it all. I'm the notebook
2: boy. And it's all it's all perforated for your
0: use. Easy to rip out and turn into your teacher or your boss. <laughs> I like that once he finds out who or like what they are chasing.
1: He's, <laughs> he's the coach's like, should I kick him out, sir? No, he's paying me compliments.
0: What a mood.
1: We did uh in that scene we also got confirmation that Rose is in fact 19. This is the first time we've heard her age spoken mm-hmm. aloud.
0: And that he he does name himself as a guardian, which it does which does further my my theory that they have a like a brother sister dynamic. I'm still going to write on that if there's any kissing or smooching, I'm leaving (laughs) out of the podcast
1: there's one of Cassie's prophecies that there is a kiss and her smooching she's out
0: no that is not a prophecy (laughs) I don't want it
1: Uh, when they get to the funeral director's home one of my favorite little quotes is Dickens says what the Shakespeare is going on here instead of what the Dickens
0: I didn't catch that. <laughs> what
1: the Shakespeare is going on here?
0: Oh, uh, that's silly.
1: <laughs> then uh, after they managed to rescue rescue Rose from the uh, living corpses in in the funeral home, Rose and the servant girl Gwyneth have a little conversation.
0: Because they're talking. You know, they're talking gr- girl talk. They're talking shop. But at one point, she Gwyneth uh, says to Rose that she's... Quote, got the clothes and the breeding, but you talk like some kind of wild thing. Which, I adore the off-the-shoulder look on Rose. It is so cute. The year is 1869. That is grossly inappropriate. Unless you are specifically, like, a... uh Some kind of courtesan. <laughs> <laughs> now,
1: also, when she's out in public, she had, like, a shawl over her. Even still, so. she's
0: showing her chest. Like, that's... It's the specificity of, like the chest being open like granted there were there was the trend of you would have corsets and you would have like your bosom up and out but (laughs) also that wasn't super common during the winter time it's cold (laughs) you would be more christmas
1: in london oof yeah before before heating existed before indoor heating was the Eh, thing they
0: had the they had lanterns no they had the ones that are They're like, ah,
1: fuck. You said a furnace.
0: Yeah, they're the ones that are attached to the wall that I cannot remember the name of. I just remember being very young and accidentally touching one when it was on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, in this conversation, we also got an answer to a question that you'd had about Rose's dad. We find out that Rose's dad's been dead for a few
0: years. Daddy detail. He dead. Yeah.
1: Well, I guess in in this specific moment, he will die in about a hundred something years. But to Rose, it was a few years ago. It was
0: five years ago for Rose. Uh, Because, oh, yeah, Gwyneth can, like, sneak into people's brains. She's like a psychic. Yeah,
1: she's got, like, a Baldur's Gate 3 mind parasite and can read your mind.
0: Which, you know, very cool I forgot about that at one point and I went, how does she know about airplanes? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, metal birds.
0: Metal birds with people in them. I have that thought every time. <laughs> I have that thought every time I'm in an airplane. That if I was a Dickensian street urchin, which we all know, that's my, that's how I see myself. <laughs> that is my spirit Sona.
2: What's that up in the sky? <laughs> it's a bird. It's a plane! It's a plane! Yeah, I know. Anytime
0: I'm in an airplane, I marvel at the fact that I'm flying in a giant steel bird as if it is my first time on a plane and I've hopped out of a time machine. The year was 1901, but now it is 2023. (laughs) And I have AirPods and a person sitting next to me with an emotional support peacock.
1: (laughs) is wild. Basically, her psychic powers are because she grew up on this rift in space-time. Uh,
0: is it a rift on spa- in space-time, or is it...
1: The Gelfs say that they lost, their, that basically they had physical bodies and they the, lost... The, the gas ghosts. Yeah, yeah, the gas ghosts. They're called the Gelf. Uh, and they lost their bodies in the Time War.
0: Which also, more Time more War. More Time War
1: stuff. But that also, to me, tells me that they were not only lost their bodies, but were flung back in time. So I do think that the Guelph
0: Well, yeah, but then the doctor even says that time isn't linear. So it's a, if this is a jumble of time, if this is a Jeremy Baramy of time.
1: Yeah, um, and I think it's, I think, I guess you could call it a ley line of space and time. Like 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 a convergence. Yeah, like it's, there's just a general sense of things can happen here. It doesn't really matter what time it's happening, but it's attached to this one space. And so things can like come into it and pop out. Time
0: Time is happening in one space, in one particular way, but it is also happening in another space in a particular way. Yes. But those two can have something in common. Exactly. Despite them seemingly happening at dramatically different, quote, times. Yeah,
1: so at, the, so at one moment, the Gelth are dying in the Time War, and the next moment, they find themselves in a basement in Cardiff in 1869. And we learn that Gwyneth has basically grown up in this house and has therefore developed this psychic link because she lives on this rift. Um, and so they decide the best thing they can do Hold a seance
0: (laughs) with table wrappers. Which, another fun fact, seances are all bullshit. Particularly about uh, during this time, though, it was very, very, very common for people to basically rob you out of house and home by convincing you that they could speak to your dearly departed. Which, you know, if it's 1860, you've just lost your mother or your child due to consumption. It was very common for people to reach out to commune with the other side, and more often than not, you would have charlatans who would come through and, you know, literally, like, tap on tables. They would have specially made tables so that way they could be easily lifted, and it was, uh, a a kind of a crummy way of-
1: Stealing money from the sand.
0: Stealing money from people who are mourning and
2: grieving.
1: Um, I mean Charles Dickens even calls it out a bit In the episode where he says that it's
2: mm-hmm. Seances Nothing but luminous tambourines And a squeeze box concealed between the knees
0: That was uh, After Harry Houdini died That was something that his wife did In the effort to call out people that were Frauds But she she did Spend a lot of her time trying to find somebody Who could potentially reach out to her uh, Her deceased husband
1: well, this okay. séance is, of course, uh... <laughs>
0: a lot of malarkey. That's my uh, that's my bit on uh, Victorian era ghosts.
1: Well, this séance is not malarkey, as 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 the narrative dictates.
0: They're also not talking to
1: ghosts.
0: They're talking to alien life forms. That
1: is true. They are not doing that. They need a person to be a bridge, a conduit. Them... Yeah, a conduit. But Charles is still you know razzing them on, and the doctor makes one of my favorite stupid jokes. Now, don't antagonize her. I love a happy medium. And that's so dumb, but I like it so much.
0: Hey, I don't get
1: it. (laughs) Because she's being the medium between spirits, and he wants her to be happy. I love a happy medium.
0: Because, like, I'm not small. I'm not big. I'm medium. (laughs) And I'm also happy. Am I also a happy medium? You are
1: also a happy medium, yes. But yes, the Gelf come through this seance, and they say that they basically need to use dead humans to survive outside of this weird gaseous state they find themselves in.
0: They are the last of their species. There's only five or six.
1: There's only a few of us, and we need your we need your bodies. Pity us. Yeah, pity the Gelf. They keep saying, but then the and the doctor just like gives like gives them just says yes to dead to dead bodies that he has no say over.
0: Oh, because they're. They're aliens. He's aliens. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about the morality. And he even yells at Aunt Rose of there's going to be some morale or I'm forgetting the line. It's different. Message. It is
1: different. Yeah, it's a different morality. Get used to it or go so he home. He's basically accusing her of being like holding their dead sacred for the sake of you know, abusing the living. Um, And the doctor's like, no. Now, I will say that if they lost themselves in the time war, I think the doctor might be projecting a little bit too much of his guilt into this scenario. Oh,
0: absolutely. (laughs) Where he's
1: like, this is at least, like, my, my people did this war. This is partly my fault. I need to, I need to right this wrong. And there's a really easy way to do it. And the only people it really hurts are already dead anyway. So I totally get how it looks from them. And then, but Rose is like, these are... These were people that you are now propping up for an alien race that has nothing to do with them. I do think it's an interesting, like, moral question. Mm-hmm. Um, does not really get to be explored because it turns out the Gelf just kind of suck? Because
0: it's not just five or six Gelf. You said
2: that you were few in number. A all of
1: us in horses. Meaning they plan on killing the entire human race to prop up all of their ghost bodies with. And I don't think it was intentional knowing Mark Gaddis, but it really feels like a you-can't-trust-the-refugees kind of thing.
0: Ooh-wee.
1: Just, I know that, knowing, you know, Mark Gaddis and his politics, and at least what he states publicly, I really think that was just, we need a resolution to this story, so this is the easiest avenue to go with. But, yikes.
0: Yeah, particularly when they're aliens
1: in the episode i thought was doing really well setting up that interesting moral quandary that it instead just kind of sidesteps for the sake of the angels or the devils because Gwenna thinks that the gelf are angels that have been speaking to her so the gelf start killing all of the all of the people and they don't uh,
0: kill anybody though they They kill sneed and they threaten to kill rose and the doctor dickens runs out he and freaking goes they ignore him
1: for some reason While as they back up well, into this they, cage they're
0: being backed up into the cage he's like on the outside of the group because yeah. they he's not a target he passed a uh, stealth check
1: and he nopes his way out of there and I really enjoy the little touch where when he's telling a Christmas story the party's talking about is Scrooge seeing Marley's face in the door knocker but then as he was leaving the house running away from it the gelf flies out through the door knocker. I thought that was just a cute little touch. Um, he realizes that because the gelf are made of gas, he can turn on, he can turn down the flames and turn on the gas, and the room will fill, and the rooms will fill up with gas and push, push the gelf out of their bodies. the The way he describes it is like pushing poison out of a wound,
0: which I've never heard pushing poison out of a wound get more poison.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> to push out
0: of the poison because
1: the way you suck poison out of a wound is by literally sucking on it. I think what the idea they were going for is that as the gas fills the room, it will enter the bodies, and because one gas can't can't like interact with the other, it pushes them out. I I think that's what they were going for. Like an for.
0: oversaturation of gas. Yeah, it just
1: this episode was doing really well, and then doesn't really fall apart, but it's just got a lot of. Like a lot of problems here at the very last. It's the
0: same issue I've been having thus far with the, like, this doesn't make sense. I just have to close my eyes and make it make sense. Yeah. Because this is now granted, this has been the first episode that we've seen where I was genuinely interested in because I love Victorian times. Mm -hmm. So this one did have me interested until things started getting silly.
1: <laughs> where did where did things get silly for you?
0: It was the moment that Rose is trying to cover and protect her face from the gas by covering just her mouth <laughs> and leaving her nose exposed, which just because you gotta cover doesn't mean you're completely
1: safe. Cough cough. In fairness, she does immediately when she gets out of the cage, she does start having troubles breathing.
0: I understand that, but
1: still. No, she's
0: not... Well, because even, like, Dickens had a rag, which, like, fun fact, if you're ever caught in a burning building, like, you absolutely get as many, like, layers of fabric or material as you can to cover your mouth because that is going to act as a makeshift filter to prevent any ash and such from getting into your body. I don't know, though, if that also would apply to gas yeah because gas is not particles it's not stuff in the same way that mm-hmm. stuff is um i mean that's getting a little too sciency in a
1: tv show um but as but talking about this though we can we see that the doctor can breathe in this gas just fine um like he seems he has
0: a new ability unlocked
1: <laughs> we know that he looks human but you know as we can see that he does have a different physiology. In the sense that he can survive things that humans can't, but they the the Gwyneth pulls out uh, a little box of matches because she can't send them back, and her plan, I guess, is to burn them all alive.
0: Was it that, or was it to just keep them there?
1: I guess it was to keep that. That could be an interesting thought. Is it's to keep them there because the building crashes down around the rift?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That that would make some sense. I had always just assumed that she was. Blowing them up, quite literally, if they're... A ga- Although, they could fly into the gas lantern, so who knows? Maybe they... She...
0: And the doctor says that afterwards that she had been dead for about five minutes. Yeah. After letting the the gelf, like, take her over. Yeah. So I'm also wondering if it's a... Destroy the building, destroy all the bodies, destroy her body. Because at that point, she is the bridge between... Like, their plane of existence and ours. Yeah.
1: But I will say that I was noticing at this, I feel like this episode had really solid pacing.
0: Yeah. Compared,
1: especially compared to the first two episodes.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
1: And because of the pacing, it felt a lot shorter. Like, I forgot that it was a 45-minute episode. Do
0: you think that has to do with the writers or the, the show now, this being its third episode of this particular series, that it's now finding its feet?
1: Probably a little column A, a little column B. Um, cause I do, I do think the show is starting to find its stride. I, um, knowing what comes up, I think the show really finds its stride come episode six.
0: I do like, uh, in this one very early on, as they're about to exit the TARDIS, Rose goes, no, you've done this before. It's my turn. <laughs> Which made me go, okay, cool. Rose is, Rose has a personality.
1: Yeah, I really... Rose I mean, has I,
0: an attitude on her. I feel like
1: you would... I, I felt going into this that you would really like Rose. I felt like you would connect with her in a lot of, like... Like, I don't want to say that you two are, like, the same person, but you two, you two I think, do have some stuff in common um, that will... What? <laughs> I, I felt like you did. I finished school. <laughs> that is fair, you did.
0: Barely, but I did it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, as we round off the episode, Charles Dickens, the Doctor, and Rose all... Uh, go to the TARDIS, which the doctor refers to as his shed, I guess. So he doesn't have to explain what a police box is to someone, you know, 70 years before they exist. And Charles Dickens asks him who like to explain who the doctor is. And his answer is that he's just a friend passing through, which I do think describes some of the dynamic of this show very well, which is mm-hmm. the doctor and their companion to sort of pass through a time that they needed to be there for. But then Charles asks if his books last. And I heard you had kind of a response to that.
0: Well, because like peek behind the cast curtain a little bit. I, I think a lot about like longevity after you die. Because a lot of times like when if you are just a person with a family, I mean, you have a home, you go to work, you come home from work. That is your day. You're not doing anything. When you die, you just kind of die. There's really not much of a legacy behind you other than your family, your possessions, and your family's memories, basically. Um,
1: Unless you did like Charles Dickens in and you make something.
0: Well, that that's the point that I'm getting at is yeah. particularly for artists in particular do have a much more prominent legacy in that what you made in life after you die is those are little itty bitty pieces of you. Mm -hmm. And those are things that will carry on even long after you've dead. Unless like, you know, it is a physical thing and it's caught in a fire and it's gone. And you know, it's, that's it. That thing dies. But more often than not, particularly if you are, let's say an author who has sold a couple books, that is something that will persist. Even after you are gone. Mm-hmm. And so it it is a it is something I think about often just as somebody who would like to leave a some form of legacy behind. Oh yeah, just a little uh, castential moment for you.
1: <laughs> well, this is this isn't the last time this sort of thing comes up. Interesting. But we'll get to that when we get to it.
0: Oh, but the doctor does say that uh, Charles Dickens's books last forever.
1: I, I mean, I can't imagine a Christmas Carol going anywhere.
0: No, like, cause I you can even think about something like A Tale of Two Cities or Oliver Twist, which, you know, those things had their time, have their time. It is a recurring thing; they come and go. I know that I use the term Dickensian street urchin at least once a day (laughs) usually referencing myself but that's not the point the term dickensian street urchin also kind of disattaches itself from its root i mean we
1: can we've been doing a voice forum the whole podcast (laughs) a cough forum the whole podcast
2: the more you talk about me the more i gain life Unlike fairies,
1: I do believe in Dickensian street urchins. <laughs> I do, I do. Thank you. <laughs>
2: I'm all better now. Then I'm the, alive.
1: Then we end off with the TARDIS fading off, and Charles getting to look at it all like bright-eyed, and bushy-faced, and he, he's so
2: happy. He is so happy.
1: He even walks away from the TARDIS, going, "God bless us, everyone."
0: Well, because he he even says like he thought he knew everything, but he's He realized he's only just beginning to know everything. Yeah,
1: well, just beginning, and then he'll be dead in a year, according to the doctor.
0: Hey, you know what? That's fine. (laughs) It's just a nice little reminder. Yeah.
1: So, um, now that we're another step into our journey, how are you feeling about it so far?
0: Um, I'm... I... I still am left with a little bit of... I am not 100% sold yet, and I don't really fully get it but I think I'm getting it if okay. that makes sense
1: yeah. well, especially now that you've been here you definitely start to get more of a feel of like the scope of what the show can do
0: well yeah and and the fact that you know it has prompted this conversation about existentialism and le- legacies and you know that that is something it is a it Feels like when you are at a networking event, and it they have icebreakers. Like it kind of feels like a an icebreaker for a much bigger conversation. Mm-hmm. Um And I'm eager to see because we're only episode three, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There, I'm eager to see what conversations and what what other big conversations we'll be having, just based off of the morality and ethics that are put in front of us via the doctor and Rose. Yep.
1: Well, we will find out if there are any more questions uh, next time, because next time is our first two-parter that we we'll to be looking at. Uh, here on Who is My Doctor?
0: Who is my doctor?
1: Who is indeed... Can you believe we went through that whole episode without once joking about it being 1869? It even featured a guy with dick in his name! Well, we promise to never make that mistake again, and you can hold us accountable for that by subscribing to this podcast. If you like what you heard, please share us with your fellow Hoovians. give us a like, a thumbs up, five stars, whatever that silly old algorithm is asking for these days. You can also follow us on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Instagram for other updates at Wimdipod. That's W-I-M-D-P-O-D. This is the last of our premiere trilogy, but we will be back next week with our first two-parter, The Aliens of London and World War III. We plan to post an episode every Tuesday, so we will see you then, because Tuesdays are now Who's Days.